welcome to the Global Gamers Podcast. I'm Ed. And I'm Ryan. And today, we're going to be doing our first review on this podcast of a game that we both love. Yes. Um, it was in both of our top fives. It was indeed. Yeah. So we've talked about this game a fair bit, but, you know, in our top ten video, we didn't have the space to give this game its, its full due and wanted to... Wanted to get into it a little bit more. Yeah, get into some of the many nitty-gritty elements that this game, of all games, provides. Um, so this is kind of like a baptism by fire in terms of our reviews. Uh, this is going to be a challenge for us, and hopefully that means it won't be a challenge for you if we do our jobs very well. Yeah, that's right. Um, so we should probably say the name we probably of should. the game. Wayfarers of the South Tigris. Wayfarers of the South Tigris. Um, as we discuss in our top 10 rankings, this is a great game. This game is part of the multiple medieval trilogies. Mm, the Marvel published. Universe of yeah, board the, games, if yeah, you will. Right? <laughs> so there'll be a multiverse. Um, published by Garfield Games. This game is designed, co-designed by Shem Phillips and S.J. McDonald, with art by The Miko. Um, it was just delivered on Kickstarter in fall 2022. I think we got ours in November. We both backed it on Kickstarter. Yep. And I think um, if it's not available for retail yet, it will be very soon. Right. And we decided to get into this game um, because we love it, because we both had it on our top tens, and also because the Kickstarter for the next game in this trilogy, Scholars of the South Tigris, will be coming up on March 1st, which is very soon. So for people who like this game or want to get into this game or love this series, um, I think this might be for you. We want to make sure that you're able to get first dibs on Scholars if you're interested as well, because I think we both will be. Yeah. Opportunity to get in on the ground floor of the next installment in the, uh, in the South Tigris series. Yeah. Get the metal coins at a discount. Oof. Always fun. <laughs> Always fun indeed. So, Ed, do you want to give us a quick rundown on just, like, the theme of this game? Yeah. Um, so one thing I will say about these medieval trilogy games is that in concept, they all have very cool themes. Yeah. In implementation, they're not super thematic. They're a little dry. Um, mm. But How do you mean? And that, like, the theme isn't necessarily obvious in the gameplay. Yeah, it's, you know, it's kind of tacked on, but I still appreciate it. Um, as a history nerd myself, I'm a big fan. Yeah. So, Wayfarers of the South Tigris, as I said, it's part of these medieval trilogies of games, and this South Tigris trilogy is set basically in the Middle East. And so, in this game, you're in uh, the Abbasid Caliphate, and every player will be departing from their home city, which is Baghdad, the capital, and you are going to be venturing out to do what the Abbasids did in their time, which was explore the known world, um, measure the circumference of the Earth, um, mm -hmm. map the stars and the constellations and the planets in the sky. Um, so that's what you're going to be doing in this game. And you, at the same time, will be winning um gaining influence in the different guilds in baghdad mm -hmm. and basically trying to win the favor of the caliph by impressing him with 
um, all the things that you've explored and documented in your journal yeah. on your travels. Yeah, and thanks for that overview, Ed. One thing I did want to add here is I have been looking forward to this game, I think, more than any of the other Medieval Trilogy games by Shem Phillips and S.J. McDonald, and I think it's because you just don't see as many games with this theme. No. Like, you have, you know, a fair number of Viking-themed games right. out there. Medieval building buildings in Western <laughs> Europe, building a cathedral. Love it, but it, we've, it's we've been, seen it. Yeah. It's been done very well. It's been done several times. And, I, I mean, this isn't the only game with, like, um, you know, a Middle Eastern theme to it, but I think it's one that just really add something and like I was more excited about the theme for this one than I was for any of the others. I agreed, think. agreed. Um, and not to, you know, get too much into scholars of the South Tigris, but that one yeah. I think even more so seems really cool because that one is going to be all about um, the House of Wisdom yeah. in Baghdad and translating ancient texts into Arabic from other from languages. a bunch of different languages yeah. which seems very cool. That, that one should be really cool. I uh, have to imagine there may be an upcoming episode where we do a review Maybe. of that one. Well, <laughs> we'll that'll see. probably... I mean, if we back the Kickstarter and it's on the same timeline as this one, that would be a toward while. the end of 2023. But we have a lot of games to fill episodes until then. Not just game. I mean, games, other rankings. Yeah, we've um, got a lot of ground to cover. Thematic conversations. But anyway, back to... Wayfarers of the South Tigris. Yeah. Why so don't you I can, tell us a bit about the mechanics of this game? That sounds good. I'll talk us through a little bit of how gameplay works for this one. Um, and realize that this is a little bit tricky just with an audio-only um, podcast, so we want to try to paint a picture for you as best we can. Um, if you've played Lost Ruins of Arnak you, or a game like Dune Imperium, there is a research tracker board that is one of the two main components you're working from and the basic way that works is you have a little meeple that's gradually moving across the board in different tiles from left to right and basically to pass from one tile to another this one page of the journal to the next exactly one page of the journal to the next you have to fulfill certain requirements like you need to have a certain number of sea cards played of a certain kind or a certain number of land cards played of a certain kind so we don't have to get into the details just like an example thematically because i'm looking at it in front of me just to tie it into the theme a little bit is yes. that if you're thinking you're writing down your journal so that when you get back to baghdad you can impress the caliph right yes so journal the first time is free you're venturing out on your adventure i'm gonna write my little journal entry but right. the next time i journal i have to have something that i want to write about so yes. i need to have seen um two cities so that I could write that in my journal. Right. That's basically what I think they're going for with this. Exactly. And basically you've got, at every juncture, about two different options for the requirement that you can go. So there's different branching logics to the ways that you can go. Mm -hmm. But the important the function that this component plays in the game is that you are... You, you are picking up bonus components when you land on certain places, but the most important factor is that it triggers the end game. Right. 
And so when you get have a player that gets to the far right edge of the journal track, that's what triggers the end game. And, you know, people, I believe, get one more turn each at that point. Everyone, including the person who made it to the end. Correct. So you do have a slight advantage to being the one to trigger it because you get to finish that turn and then have an additional one. Right. Um, but don't want to get too much in the weeds on that, but just to say that that is basically setting the tempo of gameplay. Yeah, that, that particular part of the game board is very much a seeing is believing element. Yeah. And even when you see it, you have to play it. <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. Um, but yeah, very similar to the research track in other games like Lost Ruins or Dune Imperium. One of the two main components in this game, the other one being your tableau builder. And in your tableau builder, you've basically got two main components. Mm -hmm. You have a little tracker. They call it they call top. it your caravan. Your caravan. So your venturing right. out, that's your caravan. And basically what this is, is it's a little grid, and this is where you find out what your dice are able to do. So you need, for instance, a camel to be able to discover new land. You need a ship to be able to discover new sea locations. And then you're also basically upgrading this caravan as you go. You can buy additional tablets. What do they call them in the game? Tiles, tablets, whatever Tiles. you want to call them. Right. That you're placing on top of your grid to basically... It's an engine building mechanism where you're building up mm -hmm. what you're able to do over time. Right. And then below that you have... Where Baghdad. Baghdad, as Ed said, where you're actually placing the dice to do different things. Some of them are allowing you to buy tiles to upgrade your caravan. Some of them allow you to explore new places by buying land cards or sea cards. Some of them let you progress on the journal tracker. Some of them allow you to explore the skies above the landscape that you've explored. But then... You also have your base, like, land and sea starting Yeah, blocks. what they basically do on this um, starting board you have is basically they give you one of each card. Exactly. So they give you a land card, a sea card, a space card, and then a tucked townsfolk and a tucked inspiration card. So it's yeah. a, the shape is a little bit odd, but these are all basically, they function and count the same as each of those cards. Yes. So on the left-hand side you have... A land to a land card mm -hmm. and then on the right hand side you have a sea card and you're basically exploring land going out to the left of your game board and exploring sea out to the right of your game board and then you're building skies above that landscape and seascape as you go basically on your on your turn you're choosing to do one action you're either placing a worker meeple in order to gather resources or acquire tiles or get and or you are placing one of your dice usually to do some sort of exploration right or to hire or to get more cards or something right um, and the third action would be resting right which when you rest it's basically taking a break on your long journey yes um, and resting and you're resetting your dice. Yeah, resting lets you once um, reset all your dice. You reroll your dice for like a new round, basically. 
and it lets you journal. So move one space on that journal track. If you're right. able to do so, if you meet the requisite um, criteria to do that, for example, having two cities, and then you'll also get a coin when you do that at the beginning. Hiring some townsfolk may let you do other things. Um, there's just tons of different options going on with this game, but fundamentally it comes down to those three actions. Yes. I think giving a sense of the scoring would be helpful for distilling how things fit in this game. Sure. So there are four major ways that you're going to get points at the end of the game. The first one, and this is all laid out at the top of each person's player board, is the points you get for your primary land and water tax. So there are four main, they call them tax. But basically all it means is on land, you have cities and vistas. And there's a symbol for each of those on mm -hmm. the relevant land cards. And then the seas, you have a harbor and you have the open sea. So the more of those you have, the more points you get. So if you have two of them, two of a kind, you get two points. If you have seven of a kind, you get 16 points. And then there's options for three, four, five, six in between. Right. So the more of them you have, the more points you get. It's a set collection component. Right. In addition to that, for each complete set you have, one of each, so one city, one vista, one harbor, one open sea, you get five points. Yeah. The second main way to get points is your space cards and the inspiration cards tucked behind them. So the cards in the space deck will all be stars, comets, planets, the sun, or the moon. Mm -hmm. And they are all a really good way to get points. So the star cards, there's more of these than anything else. And they just look like stars. And I'm looking at one right now. And for example, this one, you get one point for each vista. And then the comets, the way those work, and there are, few, there are quite a few comets in the deck as well, not as many as the stars. But basically, each comet card will be worth a certain number of points. And if you have the most comet symbols at the end of the game, that card will be worth... Um, more points mm -hmm. and each comet card can have one to three symbols on it right um, so it's based on number of comet symbols not cards the planets you basically get more points for the more planets you have it's a set collection mechanism yep. so it's like a point plus an additional point for each planet symbol you have yeah and then the Sun and the moon are each worth um, I believe three points and then if you have both, you get way more. But yeah. it's really hard because there's only one of each in the deck. So and it, even this is a pretty big deck. You're not going to run through the whole deck. And even if you did, you may not be the one to Who get both. Some because both someone up. else may take one as a spoiler from you. Or you may take it from someone else. Or no one might get it because no one ever was able to afford it before the game ended. Well, then, and we've played the game a few times, and we've never had some. So I think I've I played this. I think I played this more than you have, and I still have not seen it. I don't even think I've seen anyone play either of them yeah. because even when it came up, um, I guess the assumption was like, yeah, I could take the moon, but you're already, will I get the sun? Probably not. Well, and you're at that point, you're already invested in comets, right? And like stars. I would rather take yeah. a planet or a comet to add to what I'm already doing. Yeah, right. Um, in addition, the space cards can get you bonus points because these are not very common, but on average, about three times per game, mostly depending how far you get on the journal track, you will get to take an inspiration card. And this will tuck behind one of your space cards of your choice. And this inspiration card is basically 
a way to get double the number of points for that particular space card. Yeah. So, for example, I mentioned that star card. There was one point per vista. Let's say I had that one and I had four vistas. I would get four points. But if I had the inspiration card that says that if I have four open seas, I get to multiply that by two and I tuck it behind that vista card, instead of getting four points, I would get eight. Right. So basically, on these adorn these inspiration cards, you have a requirement of some kind you have to meet. And if you meet it, you double the points that you get for the card it's above. Absolutely. So the third way to get points is the way you upgrade your caravan. So as Ryan mentioned, when you upgrade your caravan, it really unlocks um, new symbols and ways to manipulate your dice, basically build an engine to maximize what you can do with each die. In addition to that, the tiles, some of them will also give you point bonuses. So different colors, different point values. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and then the final way to get points, and this is really not a big one in terms of just numbers of points, is there are three guilds on the board. Um, and the person who has the most influence in each guild at the end of the turn, at the end of the game, um, will get three points per guild. Right. So it's not a huge thing, and you have to balance that with like spending the influence you have in the guilds to do additional powers. So one of them lets you do extra journaling, one lets you get a free um, ship symbol, one lets you change the value of two of your dice. Yeah. Is it worth it or not? If you've played Cascadia, think of it as like the nature token. Yeah, it's, it's a not a big off. deal, but it, it, it exists. Yeah. Um, so you don't want to needlessly hoard them and like really shut down what you're able to do but right. you don't want to spend them so frivolously that you have, you none, have or none throwing away especially in like a two player game yeah. if you spend all of them that's basically giving your opponent nine points which together is a big it deal as up. opposed to if you can kind of right. even it out then at least it's not a big deal well and speaking of that Ed like what's a what's a score range for end game like right. what are we shooting for here so there is an example in the rule book. The example they have is 53 points in this hypothetical player's tableau. Uh-huh. Um, I would say that's on the low end. I think that mm -hmm. if you play a good game, a solid game of this, and you have a good tableau, you've made it to the end of the research track, you could get between the 60 to 80 point range. Right. And again, it's, it's hard to say firmly with this game because the length of this game is dependent on the people playing it. And the player count. Right. right, because it depends on who gets to the end of the track first. Yes. And even if someone could, they may not want to because they may just want to delay just so they can keep cashing points. Maybe they're super rich and want to just keep buying space cards. Or maybe they got to the end of the journal first, but they're afraid that scoring-wise they're behind. Yeah, so they may not want to do that last step. Right. But if you're in that general range... That's respectable. Yeah. If you are breaking, I don't. I have never seen anyone break triple digits. Good for you if you do. I'm sure it's possible. But the Power stars team. really have to align, huh, so to speak. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think that's that's an overview of scoring, and I think that's helpful for breaking down the many different pieces of this game. Yeah, I think that that's a that's a pretty good overview. Yeah. So, like, just taking a step back, Ed, let's talk about some of the like real strengths of this game mm -hmm. what do you think is the best thing about this game um so 
I just want to reiterate again something that we said at the beginning is that the theme in theory was really appealing and really different so I want to give it a lot of credit for that the best thing for me with this game is the tableau building Mm-hmm. for many reasons one because the more you build out your tableau the more options you have and i love just for some people a game like this doesn't work because they feel overwhelmed by the options for mm-hmm. me i love just being like i know what i want to do and now i have so many options in front of me for how i can get it so i don't feel stuck yeah. i love that and then i also just love at the end of the game whether you win or you lose you look at your tableau and it looks incredible. Like yeah. sometimes I just want to get the planets, yeah, because they look good on my <laughs> tableau. Or like there's a vista that's like an awesome green mountain with pink flowers on it. Yeah. That looks cooler than the brown city. I just want that because it looks good. And I know that's that's really superficial, but like sometimes it just it just feels really satisfying there's when some, you yes. when you build out. It's yeah. I, there are many games that I love for that reason, but this one does it very well. Yeah. The what as- about you? The aesthetics of the tableau really are something. I think for me, and it, in some ways maybe it's a little bit of an Easter egg, but so I would say the tableau too, but for slightly different reasons. Um, and for me, it's just how seamlessly all of the different tableau components fit in with each other, especially the fact that it's pulling as you alluded to in our top 10 episode, Mm -hmm. features from different um, Garfield games that have been made over the years. So um, I'm thinking like you have the adornment or the inspiration cards, as Ed mentioned, where you're basically able to double your scoring from certain space cards or your worker cards that are allowing you to pull additional resources. The the townsfolk. The townsfolk, I'm sorry that are allowing you to pull um, additional, additional benefits. benefits over the course of like the if, game. Like if you played Architects of the West Kingdom with the Age of Artisans expansion, it's very much like the tools and um, adornments yes. on those cards. But I think w- what what really sets it apart for me is how meticulously you have to plan to do this well. Because one thing Ed did, uh, I don't think we mentioned yet about the space cards, as Ed said, the space cards are a great way, maybe the best way to boost your scoring, but you're limited in the fact that you can only play space cards above land and sea cards you've already played. You can't have a space card that's just hanging above nothing. Right. And so you kind of have to like, it's this multi-layered tableau where you're first building out your land and sea and then building the space on top and then trying to you know, tack on inspiration to the ones that you think would score best. To the ones you think you could, you you're gonna score best at, and like, on top of all that, there's just looking at your own tableau. There's like three or four layers you're piecing together in that respect. But then you add in the fact that it's open, so everyone can see what everyone else is doing. And I mean, I wouldn't say that you're usually actively looking to block people because you're often just very tied up in what you're doing yourself but I mean that does come into it and like people are sometimes going for the same things right but like I don't even think it's that successful for a couple of reasons one because there are so many cards available for you to get at any time plus the tiles that even if someone takes something there's going to be something else you want 
yeah. at any given time. And the other thing is that one of the mechanics of this game is that you can put influence on cards. Right. Um, and when someone takes that card, they have to, they pay, have to you. pay you a provision or a coin. Right. And so that could be a way to almost reserve a card for yourself. Or if you think someone wants something, they can still get it, but you're going to benefit from it too a little bit. Right. It's not a huge deal, but like it can make a difference in terms of, oh, I just needed that one more provision to get this extra land card. Yeah, and suddenly, in a situation like that, you're basically making someone sacrifice an entire turn to get what they need. Right. Right. So, we obviously both love this game, but yep. what is one thing about this game that doesn't work for you, or the thing that you like the least, or think is the worst thing about this game? The thing that comes out to me is there's so many different components to it. And I'm not sure if this is like something I, you know, dislike about the game, but like it's a limitation that like you don't fully realize when you're playing it the first or second time. You cannot do even close to everything that you want to be able to do. Right. And so I think the first or second time I played it, I it's easy in that sense to get an out of balance tableau sometimes because you mean like too much land or too much sea or not too, too much land or too much sea and not enough of other things. In it's similar in scoring to a game like Wingspan, I think, where like you're going to be most successful if you score above average in pretty much every scoring category. But you're not going to draw most of your points from any right. one thing. I think an example of this, I think the last time that you and I played this game, I won. And I think the big difference was that I think you didn't develop your space area early enough. Like, you had built out your land and sea a lot. I'm pretty sure you had, a, like, a longer tableau on the table than I did. Right. But you didn't... I was purchasing space cards very quickly. Yes. And as we went over in the scoring, those get you... If not the most points. points, then they're as good as the land tags themselves and the sea tags themselves. Yeah, no, for um, sure. And yeah. I think we can get into that a little bit more, too, with like some of our like tips for first-time players. But like before we do that, do you want to say, uh, what, did, what did you, were there any parts of this game where you uh, weren't quite what you were hoping for? Right. Um, I touched on this in our top 10 episode. My biggest issue with this game is a graphic design issue. Um, not the no. artwork, but the graphic design. In mostly, the, and most of this has to do with the main board itself, that research track and the guilds. It's just that there are so many symbols in this game. Yeah, and I don't know what the solution is. I don't know if it would have been streamlining it, which I don't think that's even right because I mm -hmm. like the complexity. The complexity. Um, the only yeah. thing I could think of removing is the influence um, element of it, but the, that wouldn't even do much. I think mostly it would have just been changing the way some of the symbols look, mm -hmm. particularly like a good example of what I'm talking about is the green card symbol. It's a green rectangle, and that means a townsfolk card. But then there is a green symbol that is also like a similar shape that is the green worker. And then there's another green symbol that's the same exact green that's a square shape that's the green tile. Right. And I'm wondering if there would have been a way that 
you could just do a little bit more to differentiate that. Mm. Um, it's not a big deal, especially on repeat plays. And if you've played some of the other um, Garfield games in the past, like you, right. if you know what that um, worker symbol is or that coin or the provision or plus on a card symbol, you know what that means. But there's a lot when you factor in the harbor and the open sea. The vistas, the city, the observatory, the library, the cards, the tiles, the influence. Yeah. It's a it's a lot of symbols. A lot to juggle. It's not the end of the world, but I would have preferred a little bit of an improved design on that. And then just the main board itself. Um, you mentioned that this research track is comparable to Lost Ruins of Arnak. Mm-hmm. That tracker is so much more... Um, streamlined than this one and it's so much easier to see how things flow yeah um and that's a minor tweak yeah other than that i love this game oh yeah it's one of my favorites well and i think one thing i would say too like i mean to your point about the you know complexity of the iconography on here is yeah, you do get used to it after having play, played the game a few times. The other thing I'll say is I think this is one of the big reasons why, you know, we suggest like maybe starting with another one of the Garfile games first and building up to it. Like both, you know, building up familiarity with the iconography and I think more to the point, like just with the different game mechanics yeah, building up to it. Specifically, I would recommend playing Raiders of the North Sea first. Yeah. If you had to pick one. Um, because that addresses kind of the way workers are used and that mm-hmm. workers don't belong to anybody. They are communal and they kind of come and go. Different yes. color workers do different things. Um, provisions provisions and coins are the aspect. main currency. Yeah, um, yeah I, I would recommend that as an entry point into this series in general, but specifically for this game. Mm-hmm. No, that, that's well said. Um, let's shift a little bit and talk about just like some basic gameplay ideas, like how to give like first-time players a leg up. So, Ed, if you had to pick like one, one strategic thing like that you, like here's something I wish I would have realized or wish I would have known before playing this for the first time in how to be successful. Um, so... One thing, I would give them the back page of the rule book that has all the icons <laughs> on it and be like, yeah. that's yours, you keep that. But being serious in terms of gameplay mechanics, I would say that the time I've lost this game a bunch and I've won this game, not as much, but a bunch, <laughs> like two or three times. And the times that I've won, I've done so by getting more vistas and open seas. And that's to say that the harbors and the cities, what those do is they give you additional dice placement spots. Yes. And what I think has been important for me is realizing you don't need a ton of those. Right. You need a cup. The ones you have to start with are pretty good. And then if you get one or two of each, maybe, Pick of each battles. type that are good ones, when they come up, if you grab them and have them, you don't need more than that. Right. Because... The vistas will give you ongoing abilities. The open seas 
will give you instant benefits. Mm-hmm. And those, I think, overall will get you more than having a bunch of dice placement spots that you'll never be able to use because you just have too many. Yeah. That's that's, that's my tip. That's fair to say. Um, I will say there's, I think, one important caveat to what you're saying is I don't think you're saying get, like, blindly get like none of them because you do want to have enough for the set no yeah you definitely want a few but i would i would rather have seven vistas than seven cities and that's what i'm saying yes definitely definitely i think what about what about you so i think for me a few things i would say one is the research track really in a lot of ways I think controls the tempo of the game not just because it triggers end game but also because you are I don't know I found especially the first couple times I played it my eye was always going up there and like I anytime I fell a spot or two behind where other people were on the research track I felt panic a a panic and a need to catch up (laughs) And I feel like it affected how I played the game. But one thing I will say is, I don't think... I think you can take it too far the other direction and be like too concerned with being the first one to every round. You do get some small tactical benefits from doing that, but I don't think it's insurmountable to come back from that. And honestly, I think there are times where like you're better off consolidating your tableau first and like... Seeding those benefits to other players to play the long game. Yeah, I think honestly, the little tiles that you pick up with the one-time benefits—they're not a big deal. They're nice, but they're not essential. Yeah, getting the green workers that operate as like a wild is nice, but again, not essential because they're communal. So once someone plays it, you can always pick it up. Yeah, the biggest thing is getting your extra dice. I think. Yeah. Because you start off at three, and then as you go along the track, you get to the second col- um, column of the track. And you get one more, and then halfway through you get the final one. Right. And more dice equals more stuff to do before you have to rest. Right. But and beyond that, I would be okay pacing yourself as it's best for you. Yeah, I think I think that's spot on. Like, and I think the other thing I would say for first time players is just to Ed's point about these um, meeples being interchangeable and communal is that takes a little getting used to. I think in a lot of times in games with meeples, you're thinking, oh, these are my meeples. Whereas, like, that I'll control for the whole game. Whereas in this game, you're, like, picking them up, dropping them off in different places. And yeah, like, and yeah. not having them doesn't mean you're losing. Like, there have been times when you're ahead of me and I have five workers and you have one. Right. They, they come and go. They come and go. They're not worth points on their own. And, it, and there's no sense in hoarding them. Like, you might as well use, use them get when you need them. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think with that, we kind of touched on um, some bad strategies, from what I can tell, which is doing too much in terms of building up worker placement spots or rushing yourself when you're not ready to be done yet. Yeah. I think those are those are a couple big ones. I mean, another... Another one I think is those nine points at the end from the the, the the three guilds, like how many influence tokens you have there. Like you you don't wanna like hoard them unnecessarily, but you don't wanna cede that completely to someone else either. No. Yeah, I'd be mindful of it and right. at the least try to make it a wash. Right. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so this is a new game, so there are no expansions for it as of right now, but I'm sure that some will come. The, um, the insert that came with the box has space for expansions, um, particularly expansion tiles, so I look forward to that eventually. And every game that they've made in these trilogies has had, I believe, two expansions. Is um, that right? No. So one of the North Sea games didn't have any. One of them got one. Raiders, Architects, and Viscounts all have two, and Paladins has just one. So okay. I would expect at least one for this. I think right. one would be enough, Honestly, considering how much given this... the complexity. Yeah. Um, and right. I, I, I'm very happy I have this well ahead of expansions because I think there's a lot still to unlock yeah. in this before I feel like it needs to be freshened up. Yeah, and honestly, I'm kind of racking my brain at what they're going to add to it. Because just more it more stuff, like, maybe? Like yeah. a more stuff expansion would be enough. Because it feels like yeah. such a complete game to begin with. Yeah, I may regret this one day when the expansion comes out. I love it, but I almost don't want a gameplay change in the expansion. Yeah. Like, it's it's heavy enough. One thing that would be kind of nice would be if they could find a way to help you cycle through the space cards a little bit more. But then maybe, maybe. You, but maybe you get that from higher player counts, too. Yeah, higher player counts, and also they do make the ones that have been there the longest um, cheaper than the more recent ones. So yeah. that helps a little bit. It would be nice maybe if they had some sort of, like, Lost Ruins type mechanic where every so often one of them falls off. But maybe, yeah. yeah. Who knows? Um, so what is one game that you would recommend to someone who likes this game or a fan of another game would like this game? I would say Lost Ruins of Arnak. And the reason I would say that is it it kind of accustomizes you to the idea of the research tracker as a game mechanic and specifically the idea of having a kind of sideboard that's not where the main action of your gameplay is happening, but that is setting the tempo of the game, both in the sense of triggering the end game, but also like... Getting benefits. Benefits along the way, particularly as you've you know you've alluded to, picking up the extra dice at various points. Yeah, I mean, I, I absolutely agree with that. And honestly, there is no other game that I have played that I could think would be a better... Um, substitute for this game. So I'm just going to agree with you on that. Yeah. So who would you say this game is for? And who is it not for? I mean, we touched on this, but... Yeah, I would say this is a game for folks that are definitely have a cup, at least a couple worker placement games under their belt. And folks that are okay with a game that probably takes so I mean the game the, the game box says 60 to 90 minutes I think we've always been closer to the 90 minute mark even in a two player game even at a two player game yeah I've played that I've only played this with two people you and one other friend of ours yeah played a two player with her as well we play a little bit faster mm -hmm. but I would still 60 is that's that's pushing it. That's a little. That's like that's a little experienced game tester. That's tempo. like boom, 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 boom. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Racing to the end of the track. Yeah. yeah. Um, and this is not a game for people who 
do not do well with too many options. Yeah. If you are like paralyzed by too many choices, I think you'll struggle with this game. Yeah. Um, There's definitely a lot of potential for analysis paralysis. Yes. And yeah, I think just the complexity and the options are a barrier to entry for casual gamers. This is something for people who, as you said, have played a lot of similar weight games, are familiar with how um, Garfield Games designs these game mechanics, likes dice, dice worker placement, engine mm -hmm. building worker placement, and wants a good meaty challenge that will be different every time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, and I think like the icing on the cake for me with this game is just seeing how well they were able to integrate all of these components into a single game. It's it's impressive. It's a pretty stunning achievement. Yeah. So, given that, what would you rate this game out of ten? I think I would give it nine, nine out of ten stars. I, I but I don't know if I'd give any game ten. So this is pushing the ceiling for for me. Yeah. I, I agree, I give this game a 9. Um, I would give it a 10, but the icons. The icons <laughs> make it more complicated than it needed to be. Mm. Because I really think that, like, yes, you said there's a lot going on, but I don't think that's it's that complicated. I think this can be really streamlined, but I just wish the barrier to entry on this game wasn't so high. Mm. I wish that I could play this with more people yeah um i wish i would want to play this with four people right now i don't think i would want to yeah unless and everyone has played it a yeah lot. and we have a massive table <laughs> um yeah and you know i said like we backed this on kickstarter but i was really hesitant at first because i looked at it and i watched the first like video reviews or posted at the time yeah and the pictures on the kickstarter page it's a lot and i just looked at that board and i was like what what is this and then no and then like I waited like what over six months and then it arrived and as soon as it arrived I opened the box took out all the components and tried to re read the rule book and I still just could not figure it out until I actually sat down and played it yeah yeah but that said once you get past that this game is pretty much flawless in my eyes yeah and i think it deserves a nine. Oh yeah it's it's fantastic and uh yeah i'm really looking forward to seeing what what the rest of the entries in in this uh this series from garfile have in store because yep we have two more south yeah. tigris games and then they're going to do an east trilogy which yeah. they haven't named yet but i believe it's going to be um kind of set in the byzantine empire Mm. But we're going to have to wait a while for that because Scholars of the South Tigris is 2023, Inventors of the South Tigris 2024, and then we're probably I don't know if they do, maybe? I don't know if they'll do 25 or if they'll take a year off. Well, they often do expansions. They definitely will do some expansions. Yeah. But, and, um, and usually those come out yeah, yeah. within a year but or two. But this has been fun. Mm -hmm. yeah. I'm glad that we tackled this game. Absolutely. I hope that people are excited about this game or if you like this game that you know you agree with our assessment or if you don't that's fine too yeah we'd love to um, hear any any feedback yeah we love way. feedback um subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already 
That's it for now. See you at the gaming table.